Kate here, episode 25 of The Angry Dinosaur. I hope you're all well. I've got a special episode for you today with a guest interview, and that's with Peter Vox. I'm going to let Peter introduce himself. My name is Peter Vox. I'm 52 years old. I'm from New York. I grew up on Long Island. Um, I was born with uh, severe anxiety and depression. Uh, I believe part of it was um, I was born with it, and so part of it was uh, genetic of it was environmental. Uh, there was a lot of mental illness in my family. So I witnessed a lot of, um, and a lot of early deaths of, uh, from relatives, from illness uh, when I was growing up. So I grew up with an existential fear of death, which was um, involuntary. I would just think about it all the time and it became overwhelming and it eventually, it takes over your life at points. Um, and long story short, uh, when I was 49, going on 50, uh, I had 10 years of different life-changing events, and I was hospitalized for a total of 14 months, and I did 11 months in a row in uh, psychiatric hospitals. Um, I've tried over uh, over 15, between 15 and 21 different medications uh, for anxiety and depression, and um, I have been living living with it my whole life. And uh, while I was hospitalized, um, one particular therapist gave me a weekend assignment to write three pages in a journal. And I wound up writing 66 pages. And she said, keep going. And um, it wound up being a book. So, <laughs> so right. um, yeah, well, one of my questions that I was going to ask was, was when uh, you know sort of what age did you did you first begin to realize that you, you struggled with your mental health obviously you said that it was something that was around from from birth almost um at what age was it that you kind of realized that you that you struggled around age nine I had my first real uh authentic awareness of of mortality that I'm going to die one day. And it hit me so hard. It, it was like this Pandora's box opened up in my brain and uh, those obsessive compulsive thoughts of the fear of death didn't stop after that. Um, before that I, I was aware of it, uh, but didn't give it much thought, but I was exposed to certain things um, taken to cemeteries and nursing homes, things like that. I was always afraid to leave the house. Um, my father was a hypochondriac. Um, so with those combinations, uh, by age nine, it, things started. And um, by age 14, I had asked to go to therapy because I knew things were wrong. I just wasn't, um, I wasn't, um, I wasn't transitioning like I saw my classmates were when I got to high school, the ninth grade. And I saw everybody transitioning well and doing their work and sort of, you know, acclimating to high school. And I just wasn't, I, I just had no focus. I didn't, I didn't want to be anything or do anything. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So is that, um, obviously you mentioned that you were, um, hospitalized for quite a significant period of time. Um, was that fear sort of, um, you know, increased while you were hospitalized? Was it something, did, you know, did you think that, that you were going to die, that that was sort of what, what was going to happen to you? I know you, um, you've you mentioned in your book that you had suicide attempts. Sure. Um, yeah. um, so at, 
at that point when I was hospitalized for the, the final 11 month period, um, I knew I wasn't scared. I knew I was, it was time to stay and it was time to finally get this taken care of in the, in a, the most intensive way possible. And that's to be hospitalized for, you know, a certain amount of time. Um, you know, I always toyed with it. Oh, maybe I should go or I shouldn't. And, you know, I was on started therapy at, at 14. So I, you know, I was sort of avoiding it. And then, um, just things got so out of hand with, you know, I went through a divorce and, uh, things happened at work, uh, you know, go through bankruptcy and, uh, father passed away. I had a car accident, back surgery, just a lot of major life changes, which I think that on in normal circumstances, it's a lot of stress, but I think someone that doesn't have anxiety or depression would handle it. Okay. But for someone like me, it, it, it sends you off the edge. And, um, I was also taking different types of medication which led to suicide attempts because of their side effects. Um, I was always a person that was afraid of death. So when I was taking these medications and I was trying to hurt myself, it was just very strange behavior. So it, it added to the confusion. And then when I finally, uh, what led to the, the final hospitalization was I took about 15 Ativan um, to offset uh, suicidal thoughts but the problem was ativan causes suicidal thoughts so i was just feeding i was feeding yeah. this i was affected the medication and um i had uh i was a whistleblower at my old teaching job i reported things that were unsafe in the building and they finally tried to find something wrong with me and they accepted some uh fake statements from students and uh I retired early. I did the math incorrectly about my pension and I wasn't thinking correctly. And I took all the Ativan and I remember laying down saying, if I wake up, at least I'll be in the hospital and I'll get this taken care of. But if I don't wake up, I don't care. And when you're thinking like that, um, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's time that you, you get help. So I, I tend to look at um, suicidal thoughts as, it's a signal that you've temporarily run out of ideas of how to help yourself. And it's time to, you know, get help, you know, when you're feeling that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I, I suffered a breakdown uh, last year, um, oh which is, which is what prompted me to, to start the podcast. Um, sure. First podcast, time ever. Um, probably no, not really, but probably the worst it, it's ever been. Mm -hmm. um, and I really did, you know, you talk about kind of hitting rock bottom and, and for me that really was hitting rock bottom. And I I was absolutely petrified of of being sectioned. I, I thought that they were just going to go and lock me away somewhere. And it was actually mm. a really scary thought. Sure. And my partner at the my partner at the time, we, we've separated, which was kind of, you know, part of the the reason that I had the breakdown. But mm -hmm. um she um you know was was just saying you just you need to go to hospital you need to get help and, and at the time when you're in that place it's it's very difficult to see that that's actually the best step for you to take yeah and um you know I I contemplated suicide and I, I really just didn't know what to do and I ended up going to the hospital um that's voluntarily great. uh they didn't mm. they didn't keep me in there actually which 
I was glad of at the time, but in, in hindsight, um, they probably failed me a little bit because I was really struggling. I was quite open about the fact that I felt so I was very reluctant to take medication, which is something that I've always struggled with because of the side effects, um, sure. because a lot of, you know, um, medication that's meant to help mental health does actually make you worse. <laughs> um, yes, they do. So it's, it, I mean, as you say, I guess it's it's a kind of, um, you know, you're in it for the, the long term. You have to find the right kind of thing that works for you. But ultimately, I I just found, you know, you said that you kept a journal and you just kept writing. Um, right, for yeah. me, it was just, I just kept talking. So I started the podcast thinking that nobody would really listen and it was just me talking. But it, although I was kind of putting it out there to the world, I thought, well, no one's really going to listen. And actually, it's easier than sitting in front of somebody and talking to somebody. Sure. Um, and then people did start to listen. And then I started to get messages. And actually, it's probably... Um, it's probably saved my life because it, it it's allowed me to get out so many things that I've kept buried inside for such a long sure. time. Um, sure. Is that is that what you found with keeping your journal and and you know kind of putting your story out there? Is is has it been therapeutic for you? It it's been very therapeutic, and the, you know I I titled the book "Surviving Anxiety and Depression." I really wish that I read that I titled it like "Living with Anxiety and Depression" or another title would have been, does anybody else feel like this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really more like, does anybody else feel like, like this, like to this extreme where you're, you're thinking about this all the time and it's just consuming your life. And um, it's, it's comforting when you, when you talk to people that uh, feel the same way that you do. Uh, and what I found is that the, the feelings of despair in humans is the same it's the can be different like you said you you had a breakup um you know and and it caused you know your breakdown or, or you know for me it was losing my job and and um you know other things of that nature but or someone could have a car accident or someone could get beat up or god forbid you know but feeling despair feels the same. It's a common feeling among everybody. You just took different roads to get there, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and um, yeah, so it's it's definitely a help. Um, I just, what happened was I filled up three journals and a couple of friends uh, read some parts of it. And they said, this is really interesting. It's funny. You're right. I wrote about the other patients. Um because I met a lot of people with schizophrenia. So I was very interested in talking to them to find out what they see. What what do you hallucinate? What do you hear? What do the voices sound like? What are the conversations, you know? And I got to do that. Uh, and I, I'm always curious. I was always curious about people. And I always wanted to know why. So there's, a, there's, there's always existential questions. Why does this happen? And why does that happen? And... Um, What's funny is I was taking um, microeconomics in college, and this is before I switched to being a music major. And the, prof the professor said, just memorize the formulas of all these things and, and you'll get all the questions right. He's like, don't worry about why everything happens. You're being too philosophical and you're going to fail the class. <laughs> so he's like, I think this isn't for you, you know. And um, so I, I always need to know why. So um, like, why are you feeling that way? What's the cause of it? And uh and then you move on from there. Um, and then it's all how you deal with it afterward. Are you going to be, uh, you know, certain situations, you know, you're a victim of crime or you're a victim of abuse and, you know, you're, uh, you have no 
Um, in my case, a lot of times I'm being the victim was my own fault because I didn't stick up for myself properly. So, you know, those are certain things that I have uh, regrets on and about in life. But, um, but when you talk to other people and they have those same feelings, um, it's, it's becomes very rewarding. And, um, uh, when I was a teacher, I had gone back to school for two years to become a guidance counselor and then, uh, marriage and having, and I got an opportunity to drum for a very busy band. So I had, instead of spending money for tuition, I decided to make some money. Uh, but I learned more in, in that capacity as well. So um, it's, I would hate to say it's fun helping people because, you know, someone's coming to you and they're not feeling well, you know, or, or they need advice or they're feeling depressed. But there, there's a certain amount of, there's an energy you get from it, from talking to people. And, and it's, it's a win-win for, for both people, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that um, going back to, to what you were saying at the start there, um, I think mental health um, issues and, and illnesses can be quite lonely at times. And yes. you do think that nobody else in the world feels like this. And of course, there, there are thousands, millions of people that, that feel the same way. But at yeah. that time, you're so kind of trapped in your own mind that you can't actually see past that. And I think mm. actually talking to other people and realizing that there are other people that feel the same way. And I think it is, it's really important to, to be able to laugh about it as well, because yep. it's really, you know, it's awful. I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish the way that I felt. And particularly when I had a breakdown, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. It's one of the worst things that I've ever been through. And actually at the time I, w I was absolutely petrified and, and I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I didn't really know what was going on. I, I, I couldn't think clearly. I mm. couldn't eat. I didn't eat for it probably two or three months i didn't eat yeah yeah and it was just that you, you just can't even do the basic sort of daily routine and um uh, as i say you know but you, you have to kind of have a have a sense of humor and be able to kind of look back and think i, I can't believe some of the things that i was doing and, and that i was behaving in that way and and actually uh you know when you start to realize that other people have been through it too um i, I think it does make you feel a little bit more like well actually you know, I'm not a failure. It's it's mm. not there's not something that that's wrong with me. It's just it's just how it is. And, and life is really hard. Life is really difficult. And I think when particularly when we're children, we kind of grow up and then all you want to do, you want to be an adult. You want to be able to do mm. your own thing, and you want the responsibilities. And then as soon as you kind of reach that age where you've got them, you, you don't really know what to do with it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's hard. It's not as easy as they kind of paint out in all these kind of fairy tales and, and Disney movies that you watch when you when you're younger. It's not it's not that easy um but yeah it's it's definitely helped me to kind of be able to to laugh about it and to um you know to, just to talk and, and to be honest and to be open about it and I think there still unfortunately is that stigma surrounding mental health um and that's something that I, I wanted to you know do the podcast to try and um, reduce that stigma because actually there are I, I think everybody at some point in their life has experienced mental health concerns either directly or indirectly and oh absolutely and you know the, the fact that we're still afraid and ashamed to talk about it in this day and age is, is ridiculous um and you know I, I'm just trying to encourage people to to open up and to talk because actually it is so therapeutic and it, you know not only does it help you but it also helps other people and, mm -hmm. and I know what you were saying about 
you know, you don't want to say, well, it's fun to help people that are really struggling because, of course, you don't want them to be struggling. But there is that element yeah. of, you know, you, it's very re- rewarding and um, it's just nice to, to tell people and to see people on their journey. I think I think um, something that I have spent a lot of time doing is actually looking back to, to where I was sort of eight months ago. And the journey that I've been on has been absolutely incredible and it's been hard work. And there's been times where I've felt like giving up and there's been times where I've felt like I've taken 10 steps backwards, but for the mm. best part of it, I've, I've moved forward and uh, I can see such a massive difference. And not only can I see it, but it's nice when other people recognize that too. And you're hearing mm. from other people that, you know, they can see the journey that you've been on. Sure. Um, <laughs> I like that you said 10 steps backwards sometimes because what a lot of what I see a lot of people, people that are are show business types that talk about mental health are like, oh, we got this 12 step program. I guarantee, you know, and they promise all these things and you do this and watch this and we promise this and sign up for that. And it's they go in like a thousand percent with all this. I feel it's this contrived energy. Like, are you ready to change your life? You know, and, and they sound, they sound like, um, you know, an announcer, you know, and it's not very realistic. And I, I, you know, some, and I'm glad you said, like I said, 10 steps back because, you know, even if you get your, you know, hopefully the goal for people is you, you get your anxiety and depression to a level where it's tolerable and you understand it and you could work your way through it. And, it, you know, there's going to be days, you know, you'll have days where you're in bed and it happens, you know, you're going to have days where, oh my God, I feel like I did 10 years ago for some reason for a couple of days, you know, and, and it, the important thing is to realize it, it's, it doesn't last forever even though when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's going to last forever. Like you feel like you're never going to get out of it. Like, or like if you're stuck in bed and you're like, I'm never going to get out of this bed. And then for some reason, just out of nowhere, you just get up and go, you know? Yeah. It's um, I always go by the, the uh, line that, you know, healing isn't linear and it's not. Mm -hmm. um, And there have been days where, and it's not even been anything. I couldn't put my finger on what it is that's kind of set me back, but you know, I've had days where I've just, I, I, you know, a few months ago, I, I had a day where I, I just felt really suicidal. It literally came mm. on from nowhere. And sure. I, I I went to work and I all day, all I thought about was was how I was going to kill myself at the end of the mm. day. And I, I, I don't oh. know how I got through the day. Um, mm. And I don't know where it came from because prior to that, I'd been feeling quite good. And it literally did just kind of spring up on me. Sure. And I think sometimes that's the the difficult thing with mental health again going back to what you said earlier you like to understand things and I'm very much the same I like to know mm-hmm. why why is this happening you know yeah. um and sometimes you just don't know and, and I think part of it is accepting that you may not ever know <laughs> why that is um oh, yeah, and that's I mean, okay you know there's sometimes I describe it as it's just a switch you know it's a light switch that's in that you know I, I describe feelings as like a light switch you have the off or if you're lucky you have a dimmer you know you can make the light brighter or lower you know depending yeah. on your depending on your mood so for me anxiety is stuck in the on position and i'm screwed i'm screwed because of it you know and yeah. you have to you have to learn to deal with life that way um you know if someone is you know hearing voices the switch in their brain that that controls you not hearing voices is is isn't working correctly so um you know you have to you know you have to 
learn to to live with it to to a certain extent you know and and like you said you know you got to be realistic about it and and hopefully it 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 stays to a you know to a certain level where you can enjoy life yeah and i think that's um i think that's what a lot of people struggle with i know that's what i've yeah. struggled with i think it's a you just you think oh there's going to be a cure for this and i'm never going to feel mm. like this again and actually just accepting the fact that it's okay if you do feel like that it's yep. just learning how to deal with that and how to mm. manage that rather than to completely fall apart and and kind of go into a more severe state of depression and um you know an anxious state and and that's what i've been guilty of in the past it's um i was talking to someone the other day um actually bit of a, a different topic but mm-hmm. um she's actually on a bit of a diet at the moment and she she'd had uh, some i can't remember what it was like a biscuit or something and she was like oh yeah but i've had a biscuit so now i might as well i feel like i might as well just eat loads of stuff because i've mm-hmm. i've broken my diet and it's almost like that oh well i've had a bad day so now i'm just going to spiral and have yeah yeah you know <laughs> you know have a complete breakdown and it, it doesn't doesn't need to be like that and of course we don't choose to, that path necessarily it's just kind of how we it is very much about finding finding ways that work for you to kind of manage that and to navigate around that. And yeah. um, I think, you know, as you said, you found writing very therapeutic. I found doing my podcast very therapeutic. I also write quite a bit of poetry and stuff, which oh, helps. Um, but I think it is very much finding what works for you and realising that actually we are all so different that not, not one thing is going to work for everybody, just like the medication, you know, getting the, sure. the medication balance right. Yeah, um, are you on? Oh, go ahead. You're gonna ask me. Uh, I was just gonna say, do you t- do you currently take medication? Is that something I'm, you? I'm right now. I'm taking one milligram of clonopin a day, um, and I take uh, gabapentin. Uh, so clonopin is a, a benzo. So it's in it's a it's a sedative narcotic. I've been on it since I'm 27, so I'm 52. So. my issue with it is that it it's it's addictive and i've been taking it for so long that i i would like to get off of it um so it's it's you can't obviously do a cold turkey i have to do it with a doctor so what i'm doing is i started gabapentin and uh weaning off of the clonopin and the gabapentin then i get off the gabapentin and then from my personal belief system um i use uh marijuana thc uh the indica strain of of marijuana a low level you know cbd things you know things of that nature um you know like you said it's personal choice uh i've tried like i said just about 21 medications lithium seroquel Prozac, all the big ones. And, you know, they make you gain weight. They do things to your, you know, they make your liver fatty. Um, They raise your cholesterol. Uh, You become um, uh, just a, you don't be, you become complacent and ambivalent towards things where you'll just let things go and you don't stick up for yourself. Like, eh, whatever. You sort of become emotionless. You're not happy. You're not sad. You're just, you're hungry because yeah. the, medi- the medications, I mean, I, you know, I can eat on those, on those medications. Um, but at, at what price? Um, when I got discharged, I went to my general physician. And when I got to the, when I was committed to the hospital, I was a little bit underweight. 
I weighed about 150 because like you, I lose, I was, I lost my appetite. And, um, when I was discharged, I weighed six. So I gained 76 pounds from medication and yeah. eating and eating hospital food, especially like other patients will give you their food if they don't want it. So when there was, <laughs> so there was the guy in the room next to me hated pancakes, waffles, and French toast. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, the he, best uh, for you. I, he goes, I don't like, he goes, I don't like them. And you know, the guy next door gives me his because I give him my milk. So I'm like, you have two servings. He's like, yeah, just take all mine. So I was getting <laughs> triple servings of, of, you know, all this great breakfast and I gained weight, you know? So I get, yeah. so I, I go to my, I go to my physical and my, and I'm someone I, you know, I'm a retired gym teacher, phys ed teacher, and uh, I always work personal trainer and things like that. And the doctor's poking me in the belly and he's going, <laughs> he goes, I want to see you next time I see you. And he's poking me in the belly. And he said, you have to make a choice of, of these medications and your health, you know, your liver numbers are, are someone that drinks a lot and I don't drink, you know, um, and your cholesterol is up and, uh, you know, from these meds. And I said, okay, uh, you know, I'll get off them. So, uh, there was issues with the psychiatrist who was prescribing the meds. She didn't want me to get off them. Uh, one caseworker's idea was if I wasn't happy with the weight gain, I can always take another pill to let, help me lose weight. And, <laughs> and that's when I looked at the mental health system and I said, you guys just want me on more meds and you don't care what happens as long as I don't kill myself, I'm under your supervision. And I felt that at that point, they became pill pushers. And the reason why was because I started therapy in 1984. I was 14 and I went to a psychiatrist. And at that time, the psychiatrist did the talk therapy. They took notes. They didn't prescribe me medication until I was 23 years old. So it was uh, almost eight years of going to therapy without meds. Um, so they weren't so fast into into, you know, shoving pills down your throat. Um, and now it's, you know, you can go to a doctor. Oh, I feel a little stressed. Oh, here, take Xanax. Here, take Valium. Here, take Clonopin. It's like, whoa, you're giving these addictive pills out to people, you know, because they're a little bit stressed out. Is it, are you diagnosing them as, as, you know, as you can, you know, to find out if is something new is it something temporary are they just going through a rough time what's their family history and you know i i i don't think that being as deep as they could and they're just giving out the meds as a quick fix for everybody because it seems like that more people than ever are committing suicide or having uh um anxiety and depression issues at at for the first time at at older ages like at my age you know people are you know having anxiety attacks and they don't they don't know what it is they think they're having heart attacks and they say what's going on with me and i'm like oh it's just a panic attack <laughs> you know you're not having a heart attack yeah. and um because you know you sort of like oh, i've been there done that you know um my first real bad one i was 14 and it was the week that was the week i i I told my mother I needed to go to therapy 
And what happened was I had a nightmare about the Cold War between the United States and Russia that was big at the time. And I had a full-blown anxiety attack in my friend's backyard and I threw up and I lost control of my, I pooped in my pants <laughs> and um, ran back home, uh, went, saw my mother. I said, I need to go see a doctor, you know? And the crazy thing was that at that point, my father had been in therapy his whole life and um, they saw I was struggling and had all these existential problems didn't want to leave the house, all these irrational fears. And uh, my mother's brother was schizophrenic. And with all of that information, when I was 14, I probably should have been hospitalized. And they never told my first therapist about all the mental illness that was running rampant in my family. And um, so I look back on it. I'm like, wow, you, I should have been hospitalized earlier, you know, when I was a kid. And I, I think that I don't know if society less today, but um, I think maybe I just I would have had the handle on it that I have today, maybe a little bit earlier in life, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things I was going to say to you, actually, what's what's the sort of mental health um, support like in, in the States? I mean, you know, how long is the kind of process? Um for you to to be seen i mean obviously you, you talked about being hospitalized um which is sure. obviously the kind of uh, severe cases i guess but um it, in this country uh you know here in in the uk it's it's awful it's mm. um as i say i went into the hospital and i literally had every intention of killing myself and told them that and they just sent me on my way by myself uh. just let me go and um luckily i i ended up going to a train station and i sat at a train station for hours just contemplating what to do and you know came very close to to ending it all and um mm. luckily I had got a very supportive family and I you know ended up getting on a train and going back to back to my parents and um spending some time with them and, and kind of sorting myself out almost and then it wasn't until I think it was something like 11 weeks after that until anybody actually called me to to start booking wow. appointments and um, which, you know, had I not have had that support network around me, there is no doubt in my mind that I, I wouldn't be here now. Um, and that's sort of what, sure. what the state of the, the mental health support is like in this country, unfortunately. So for 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 me, well, for people in in New York City, um, you can if you call 911, you know, the emergency number um, and say, you know, I have suicidal thoughts. I have a plan. I want to kill myself. They'll send an ambulance come get you, bring you to the hospital and they'll get the ball rolling for you. If, if you want to be hospitalized, they'll, they'll hospitalize you. Um, uh, they'll give you meds. Um, you know, you'll get taken care of, but you, you get thrown into this sort of system. Um, the thing that I had going for me was that, uh, from working, uh, for the Department of Education and for New York City that I, after a while, even after you retire, you keep your health insurance for life. Um, uh, so I was always lucky enough to to um, find a therapist. But he, the, but the tricky part is, you know, to get in, to, to find to to have insurance to cover your bills. 
to, for a therapist is, is, was easy enough, but actually finding one now is difficult. Um, a therapist I went to the longest for 16 years, he was fantastic. And unfortunately he passed away. Um, he was in his eighties. He started, he became a in his forties and I went to him when he was 70. So from his, from age 70 to 86, I, I went to him and he passed away and I was lost. I couldn't find a therapist. Um, psychiatrists in the United States or New York now, all they do is they speak to you once a month on the phone and they renew your meds. And they say, do you feel like you're going to kill yourself? Okay, no. Okay, that's good. Any thoughts of this? No. All right. And, you know, and they're looking at their watch and, you know, yeah. well, hurry, hurry up because I have another call coming in. And one therapist, what happened was uh, she forgot to renew my prescription for Seroquel. And I had gone a few days without it. And I said, well, I'm not going to keep taking it you know, now, cause I already went through the withdrawal. So I might as well stop. So I stopped that. And a new psychiatrist I have, she's every time, every time she has to renew my, the clonopin or the gabapentin, there's a mistake. So they're overrun with, with people, with patients and they're just here, here's a pill. Here's a pill. Here's a pill, you know, yeah. and it's, um, I would, you know, I would, like I would like to see, you know, people try to stick it out a little bit before hopping on meds, you know, because it's it's a slippery slope. You know, you start taking, you know, Xanax or Valium or Ativan and you, and you develop that dependency and you're stuck. And, and sometimes I question, I said, am I a drug addict? You know, because I'm not abusing it. You know, I don't take too many and I don't you know, I don't go over the, you know, um, you know, the amount I'm supposed to take, I, obviously I did have the, the, uh, you know, the incident with the ad and, and the other medications, but on a regular basis, you know, you don't abuse these pills, but God forbid you go off it and you feel a huge difference. You feel really sick, even though I'm taking a very small amount of it. So, um, you know, I want to get off of it and, you know, there's people saying, oh, you know, you got to try psychedelics and try this and try that. And it's like, you know something? I don't even know if I want to try anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know? I think I you get to that point. Anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not taking any medication currently. Yeah. I haven't been for a, a few months now. And I, I probably feel, uh, you know, touch wood in, in the best place I've been for a long, long time. Um, sure. And going back to, to what you said about the way that the, the medication could make you feel, um, mm -hmm. I found that it just made me numb to everything. Yes. And I thought, I don't want to live the rest of my life not feeling anything. Mm -hmm. Part of who I am, I'm quite a passionate person. So I, I feel kind of extreme highs and extreme lows. Yeah. And, and, and it, I quite like that when it it's when it's your controlled. creative juices too. Exactly. I don't want to just kind of coast through life feeling absolutely nothing because actually, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's no joy in that for me. Um, so I, I've made the decision to sort of not take mm -hmm. any meds, which obviously my um, sort of support network are aware of. And it's something that's monitored and, and so far so good. Sure. But yeah, go, going back to the the support, so we have um, yeah. what we call a crisis team, which okay. is a number that you call if if somebody is in crisis. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was in the middle of this sort of breakdown, um, my my partner at the time rang this number, and 
nobody answered and she she called several times and nobody answered the number i tried calling myself and nobody answered that's the kind of state that we're at at the moment um so she ended up calling um i think she called an ambulance they wouldn't send an ambulance out they said they were busy so they ended up sending the police and the police actually threw me in a police cell overnight Mm -hmm. um i ended up sort of uh being being made to feel like i'd sort of murdered somebody and I was literally thrown in this cell overnight, which at the time when you when you're feeling like that is the worst thing that they could have done to me because I just felt absolutely like I, I don't want to be here anymore and what yeah. what's going on and it, it, again adding to that kind of you know I was already quite scared and already didn't know what was going to happen to me. Um, That's not the first hospital I was in, um, I got taken there. You know they they strap your arms down to the stretcher. You know when you're in the ambulance, it's kind of like Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> The only thing that was missing was the bite guard over my face. You know, so I was going <laughs> to say, body. did you get the guy? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, they're like, we have to strap you down. I'm like, listen, I'm not going anywhere. I, you know, I give up. I'm ready for, I'm ready for the long haul here. So the first place, the first hospital I get to, I'm waiting outside of, of the wing that I'm going to go to in this hallway that where all the rooms are. And, um, you know, the hospital gown and pajamas. And one of the nurses says to me, is this your first time in a, in a mental institution? I said, yeah. And she goes, just keep your head down in that hallway and nobody will bother you. I said, oh, great. <laughs> and I was there less than, in less than 10 minutes. One guy punched another guy in the head, knocked him out cold. And, oh I, and so my first experience was two weeks with um, violent schizophrenics and, and psychotics. So I got thrown right in. And, um, uh, you know, it was two weeks of, of interest of an interesting time. And, um, yeah, it's a scary. You feel like you're in prison. Some places you don't, uh, I stayed in, I've stayed in five different places. Um, and most of them were, you know, uh, when I went to college, if my dorm room looked like the hospital room, I would have been very happy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, all in all, you know, the facilities are nice. It's just, it's overrun and they're just giving out pills to everybody. Um, the big thing now is you can get a Zoom conference with a therapist. You could talk to them on the phone. Um, and there's, there's, you know, lots of opportunities that way. Uh, but the, nothing beats in-person therapy and the therapist that I went to, his name in the book, I call him Dr. Peart. I name him after the drummer from Rush because um, okay. I thought it'd be cute. You know, it's, it's a music. <laughs> lots, I'm a musician, so there's lots of music themed things. And for me, music is the big thing that keeps the anxiety and depression. At I'm singing and drumming. And um, when I went to see him. Uh, he took notes. He had a, a spiral notebook, like old fashioned paper, you know, pen and paper. And he would take one on one side of it on one piece of paper. He would write down the notes of what I was saying. And then because he was trying to quit smoking, he would chew on pieces of paper to, to <laughs> satiate his fixation for cigarettes. And he sounded like um, Robert De Niro with the thick Brooklyn accent. He was raspy. And I said, I would say, you know, Dr. Marks, you know, why are you chewing on the paper he's like never mind where i'm chewing on the <laughs> talk about why are you talk let's talk about what you're here to talk about you know and uh it was great because because he would call him he would call out when i was full of baloney i was full of crap you know he would say 
singing. Uh, I would drink whiskey, you know, to, you know, loosen up a little, make your throat a little bit loose. And, you know, you enjoy the buzz a little bit. I, you know, I like the buzz of, you know, have a little buzz when you're singing. And, um, well, why do you drink the whiskey? And I said, I was like, you know, just keeps my throat in shape. He's like, oh, you're full of crap. And I was like, all right, I like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I admit it, you know. <laughs> and so and the thing I learned about therapy with him was, is that he was so interested in hearing every, anything that you were embarrassed to talk about. So this way you get it off your chest, any sort of, you know, if you have, Oedipus complex, for example, if you have a dream that a son, you have, you dream that you have sex with your mother. Now, every, I would assume most people have that dream, you know, and I've had that dream. I've had all crazy dreams. So when I admitted I had that dream, you know, I'm blushing and he's like, Peter, everybody has that dream. What do you think? You're the only one. You think Sigmund Freud came up with that theory for, for you, you know? <laughs> and I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I started laughing. And he goes, what are you laughing at? I go, I feel this like weight lifted off that I'm happy about it, you know, and that, you know, there's certain days in therapy where doors open up in your brain to certain freedoms, you know, uh, of a certain liberation of, of thinking where uh, you admit your faults or you admit your, your things that you're embarrassed about uh, to somebody that goes, yeah, well, everybody thinks that way, you know, um, it's, it's how you behave, what really, you know, shapes your life, you know, we're all going to have days where someone cuts you off in the car in front of you, and you wish you had a bazooka to blow up the car, you know, <laughs> and but you don't do it, you know, but it's, it's okay to accept that you have that thought and even maybe have fun with certain fantasies, you know, like, oh, I wish I had laser beams in my eye you know, make their tires flat, someone that cuts me <laughs> off, you know, something like that. And um, like yesterday in New York and Brooklyn, there was a shooting, you know, a guy got on the train and he had some beefs with whoever his problems were. And, you know, he set off some smoke bombs and started shooting randomly at people. And, you know, I think everybody's had those thoughts of, you know, you want to go on a shooting rampage or, you know, you want to do this to somebody or beat somebody up or you know, whatever your fantasies are detrimental to other people, <laughs> you know, we all yeah. have it, you know, um, you know, look at Stephen King, look at all the movies he's made. Can you imagine if he acted out all those crazy things that he thought in his brain, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, a, lot, you know? a lot of um, writers, uh, you know, especially they, they come up with these uh, sort of quite, quite scary at times and yeah. scripts and things. And obviously they've, they've had those thoughts, you know? So. Yeah. So like the, like the, like I don't watch horror movies cause I'm just not cause they bother me. It's just whatever, you know, it's just not something I'm interested in. You know, those guys had those thoughts and, and can you imagine if they acted out those thoughts, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, I sort of use that as, um, as a sort of barometer of, you know, of, of human behavior. It's like, well, how you act, how you behave based on your thoughts is, you know, how, you know, how your life is affected. Um, in terms of like my anxiety and depression, the thing that happens to me is I'll think of a certain scenario that's not real and my feelings and my body will act as if it's really happening. Um, yeah. 
a, a, a great example was um, a friend of mine sent an email. He was disgusted that uh, these two guys got let out of jail. They turned 18. What happened when they were 10 years old, they kidnapped a toddler from a mall and they torched did all these disgusting things to him and the, and they left him on railroad tracks and the kid got killed and yeah yeah i'm familiar with that yeah so the uh the story i think they were australian um anyway what happened was when i read the story my sons that are 15 now were toddlers at the time and i couldn't get that story out of my head and i couldn't help but i couldn't stop picturing those happening to my sons it could happen one day and someone could do it to them. And oh my God. And I started feeling like it was, it happened to them. And I, and my body and my feelings were reacting like it was happening. I was crying and freaking out. And, um, and that's the other part of the anxiety disorders that you, you think of scenarios and you react as if it's really happening, even though you know, it's not happening and you can't stop it. And that's what and that's what gets in the way of real life, you know. Yeah. And as you say, the, the emotions that you're feeling are, are the same as if that had happened. Um, yeah. And, and that's that's the hard thing then to to try and convey that to other people, because people mm -hmm. that don't understand are, are looking at you like, well, well, nothing's happened. Like, why are you why are you reacting like that? Yeah. But it's, it's um, almost like having a flashback or having PTSD without without having gone through any sort of trauma. It's a, yeah, it's, it's such a strange thing. Yeah. Um, so I know you said that you'd experienced um, in, in sort of childhood, you'd experienced a lot of death. And you were obviously one of the things that you were, were worried about and anxious about was was death and, and dying. Mm -hmm. So I um, actually lost lost my partner to suicide when I was oh. 21. And how old are you now? I, I had to think about that. Then I'm 35 now. Okay. So <laughs> um, not so long ago in the grand scheme of things. No, no, not really. Yeah. But it's only really been since I've, I've had this breakdown that I've actually really dealt with it. Um, so I saw a therapist years ago, which was almost forced mm -hmm. because I'd actually had a bit of a breakdown. I'd actually attempted um, suicide and uh, it was the company that I worked for made me go and see occupational health and they basically one of the agreements for me going back to work I was desperate to go back to work was that I saw a therapist okay. so they they arranged for me to see this therapist I, I went along it was something I was very reluctant to do and I mm -hmm. sat in with this therapist who basically looked at me and said and that was your, your first time uh yeah mm -hmm. first first real time that I'd, I'd kind of gone to gone to see somebody and I, it, she actually used to do it from her house and I was sat in her house mm -hmm. and she just looked at me and she just said you you're going to be a challenge and I'm not sure that's a good thing for you to hear from your therapist <laughs> no. yeah. um, and I she just knew that I didn't want to be there and she said to me she said at the end of the day they're going to ask me whether you've turned up to sessions I'm going to tell them that you have because you have mm -hmm. ultimately what you get out of this is is up to you it's whether you put anything into it is up to mm -hmm. you I can't force you to talk I can't force you to open up to me if you literally just want me to tick a box and say yes you've come and then you go off to work that that's up to you mm -hmm. and at the time that's all I was ready for and um it ironically it was kind of the last session that I had with her we actually got on really well um she was very funny the sort of person that I would get on with and um we, we would chat but not about anything that I needed to talk about and then 
it kind of got to the last session and I, I I started to think about it, but I still wasn't ready. I don't think to kind of commit to to actually opening up and, and talking. Sure. Um, and then it was uh, last year and it, I, I was obviously at the start of having this breakdown, but I didn't really mm. realize and my emotions were all over the place. And I actually reached out to her and just said, I'm ready now. I'm, I'm ready to talk. And she said, like, get in touch with me. And it was actually on my birthday. And so, so my, my partner that, that committed suicide, it was actually on our birthday. We shared the same mm. birthday. Oh man. Um, and it was actually my birthday last year. And I was with my, my partner at the time then. And we'd actually had a really lovely day and um, we, we'd done quite a few things and we were at this this food festival and I remember just looking over at her mm-hmm. and I just thought I want to spend the rest of my life with with this girl and um, mm-hmm. I knew that I was struggling because of all these emotions that I'd, I'd kept inside I wasn't very good at um, I, I would panic if we had the slightest argument because mm-hmm. I'd worry that I wouldn't get a chance to put things right with her sure. and it, it was this whole kind of um issue with me of of, you know not knowing the last time that you're going to see somebody and because of that to me if I argue I I have to resolve conflict straight away um otherwise it just drives me crazy whereas um my ex was very much the sort of person that liked to go and take a bit of time to herself Mm -hmm. um and she couldn't kind of understand why that would really freak me out and why I'd become so anxious and and so stressed about it and and also I wasn't very good at conveying and actually telling her what was going on inside mm-hmm. um but I remember just looking over her at this at this food festival and thinking I, I need to sort myself out and I need to to work on me and I sent this message to to this therapist and said you know I'm, I'm ready now and, and she said yeah we'll sort some sessions out and unfortunately I think starting to deal with it just opened a whole can of worms and I, I just couldn't deal with it. And I started to have this breakdown and ultimately that's what led to the the breakdown of, of my relationship. And actually, obviously that, you know, added to everything else that was going on and, and mm. kind of added to the breakdown that I was having. But um, I think it's just, yeah, it's, as you say, it, it's kind of that, that worry, I, you know, I just got it in my head that every time, um, I had an argument with somebody, you know, they, they were going to go and kill themselves, which is ridiculous because yeah. yeah. they're not going to do that. But, well, sure but that's, how, that's how I felt. And, you know, the emotions were there and I would really, really panic. And, um, you know, the, the whole thought of actually just giving someone space and, and just letting them calm down if, if we've argued or if, if things mm. haven't been good is perfectly normal and perfectly natural. But to me, it was just such a big thing for me to do. Um and unfortunately, you know, as I say, that kind of escalated and, and almost, well, did lead to, to the breakdown of, of my relationship. Sure. But, um, yeah, I've been working on a lot of that and kind of, you know, accepting that actually not everything is in my control. And, no. um, and, and that's difficult at times to, to accept that you can't control everything. You can't control what people do. No. And a, a lot of the things that you worry about never happen. You know, and then you'd be surprised that, you know, when when things do happen, uh, the strength that you have to to be able to handle it somehow comes out. And, uh, you know, if someone's sick and or, you know, you wind up helping somebody or or whatever it is, when uh, I find that. When something really matters the most, if it's a real life and death situation, I, I tend to step up. Like for some reason, all the other stuff seems to go away, which, you know, which makes me think that 
you know, okay, well, it's, it's a chemical imbalance, you know, but when things are, you know, are count the most, um, you know, I can handle life. It's, you know, it's just the everyday struggles that are, you know, that are difficult. Yeah. And, and I, I think when you are struggling, mm -hmm. you, you feel weak. I think you feel like you're, yeah. you're not very strong and you're weak. And then actually, when you look back, um, you know, as I say, I've been on on such a journey over the last eight months or so, and and I've realised actually how much strength that has taken, and actual courage to to talk about things that have been bothering me for so long, and things that mm. I've been carrying around with me, and you know, it's it's a bit of a kind of cliche, but it does feel like a massive weight has been lifted. It's um, oh yeah, because very refreshing. If you don't talk about it and or write about it or get it out of your system in some way, it's gonna present itself in some sort of health problem. Um, for me, when, uh, when I was having marriage troubles, instead of having uh, panic attacks about death, my legs started itching. I developed itchy skin and I would scratch so much that I, I scratched all the hair out of my legs where I was scratching till there were cuts, I was bleeding. And it was just, it was, you know, psychosomatic itching. And, yeah. um, when I was a personal trainer, I had a client who was, she was going through a divorce. Her husband was cheating on her. She was breaking out in, um, she was getting styes in her eyes, um, eczema on her elbows, just all these immune problems, you know, because she wasn't eating, she wasn't sleeping. So she was just breaking down, getting cold throat, you know, um, just becoming sick. And, um, I was actually training some teenage girls in conjunction with the psychiatrist they were all anorexic and bulimic and um when i spoke to those girls not one of them were anorexic and bulimic because they thought they had a weight issue they were all anxious and depressed and they yeah. had all they all lost their appetites and that was really eye-opening for me because um you know here i thought that you know, I was younger back then and I thought, wow, you know, they're anorexic and bulimic. Well, you know, I have to convince them, you know, and uh, when I started talking to them more and having the experience that I was going through at the time and being in therapy, um, you know, you realize that, oh, man, that's a part of it, too. You know, not being able to eat, you know. Yeah. And, I think a lot of it is again like going back to a control thing as well people mm -hmm. feel like they need to control something in their life and and that's something that people yeah, yeah the people cutting yeah the cutting yeah. and and not eating and um you know self-mutilation things like that uh you know those behaviors um yeah it manifests those those negative ways you get it out of your system um you know like we were mentioned earlier you got to do what's what's good for you you know I, I have music you say you write poetry um you know i i suggest to people draw and people go oh i can't draw anything i'm like you could draw a circle and color it in can't you <laughs> i mean that's coloring make a smiley face you know buy, yeah. a, buy a coloring book you know you don't have to be uh picasso to 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 you know to to keep your mind, you know, it's really just about keeping your mind busy, you know, going for a walk, um, playing a drum, you know, uh, uh, the, the big temp temptation with everybody is when you're anxious and depressed is to lay in bed 
and you know yeah. I'm, I'm i'm guilty of doing it i love sleeping you know but you know when it's a nice day get your get you get your ass out of bed you know it's an it's go enjoy the weather you know it's um it's re that's really important it's just to get outside of your out of your house you know wherever you're living when it's nice out go outside you know yeah definitely you, see, you know see people get human interaction um other things that help me youtube videos about mental illness you know um from from doctors from people you know that suffer from it uh you know, just reading about it and even mental illnesses that I don't have, you know, I read about narcissist, narcissist behavior, and I find that interesting. And, um, uh, I find that once, you know, that old cliche, that knowledge is power. Um, there's something to be said about it. You know, once you start reading more about what your mental illness is, you sort of give it an identity um and i sort of compare it with like if you had a broken wrist you could see the x-ray of the broken bone yeah you know that so it doesn't really freak you out emotionally because you have there's something tangible to look at so if if you start reading about and seeing in print or hearing someone say you know uh you know, you're having an existential crisis, which is you, you're not really understanding. You don't you don't have a, a, a you're confused about the what the meaning of life is and what the purpose is and what forever is and all those things that don't have any answers. And, um, you know, you need something to control that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's true. It's um, one of the worst things that you can do is just, I think, you know, sit in bed or lie in yeah, bed or flounder. just do, do nothing. Um, something that I've tried to do a lot of when I have been doing a lot of is is walking, as you say, mm -hmm. getting out, getting some fresh air. Um, yeah, and, and even just making more time and more effort to, to see my friends because mm -hmm. I think you sometimes feel like you want to shut yourself away and actually yeah. being around people and talking, it, it naturally kind of takes your mind off things. You, you mm -hmm. naturally laugh and good time and I went for a quite a nice walk yesterday with a friend actually nice. um and it was raining uh we'd, we'd planned to actually go and climb a mountain but it was it was really mm. bad weather here um but we still got up and we went to a, a place called the Peak District and we went for a nice walk and um we just laughed a lot and it was really slippy and people were falling over and it was just ridiculous weather to be trying to climb this you know big hill that we were going up but it was sure. just we had fun and and actually um you know naturally kind of lifted my spirits and made me feel made me feel quite good and also obviously the the positive impacts on your your, your fitness and you you sort of uh, general health as well is is good so yeah moving your body is it, it tricks your brain into a different thought process you know and it's really that simple like cognitive behavior therapy it's just learning doing something physical to you know to trick your brain. Uh, I was in a wedding band, uh, Italian wedding band with uh, my friend Dominic, and he would keep a rubber band on his wrist and his cognitive behavioral trick from behavioral trick from his therapist was whenever he feels anxious was to flick the rubber band on his wrist a few times and it would change yeah. his mindset, you know, to keep him busy. Um, what's funny is uh, the, the toughest thing I have 
the toughest, the thing I have the toughest time with is, is doing meditation. Um, because my mind races so much, it's, it's very challenging. So I find that I need to do stuff where, where it's physical walking, like we said, or playing drums or doing something almost to the point of exhaustion. <laughs> so I get to that point where you'd be in meditation, where you're feeling peaceful, you know? Yeah. So I, need, I, need, I, I need to get there physically. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle to kind of stop my, I, I think a lot, I think too much mm. sometimes. And I struggle with that too. Um, and I, I remember once um, it, it was an ex of mine was a um, hypnotherapist. Oh, and I, I've i got a, a real fear of spiders. I have okay. done since I was young. Um, it's something that my mom passed on to, to my sister and I. Uh, she uh -huh. was very scared of them. And I'm absolutely petrified to the point where it has stopped me going certain places on holidays because I've actually researched what spiders they have there. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I, if I see <laughs> one... Countries? Yeah, I've yeah. just like I could never go to Australia. Um, <laughs> I've uh, I've literally I've, the first I think it was the first time I lived alone and I lived in this flat uh -huh. and I saw a spider and I actually uh, moved out until somebody came and found this spider because I'd, I'd seen a spider that was that was kind of running around. Wow! Um, so I'm really really petrified of them. And she said, um, you know, give give hypnotherapy a go. It, it really mm -hmm. works and I, I was a bit kind of skeptical and I said okay like we'll try it and the first session that we had I, she was getting so frustrated with me because I just couldn't switch off enough to get to that point where I was relaxed mm -hmm. and um, it took a long long time and a lot of perseverance on on her part and I actually got got there and uh, had a couple of sessions and it did actually help yeah. um unfortunately we we split up not long after and i thought she could have me running around like a chicken for the rest of my life so i didn't know <laughs> yeah, every, every time she <laughs> says taco you start barking like a dog or something yeah so um she, she did offer to carry on the sessions and i said no you're okay thanks i'll, yeah. I'll give it a miss because uh, i was a bit skeptical but um did you fall under any hypnotic i guess um hypnotic spell what would you call it is it called a hypnotic spell? I'm not sure what a trance. It, no, it, it did. No. It did. It did work though with the, the spider. I got to a point where I could walk past them if yeah. they were there and just ignore them. Um, and then I kind of got got scared again. And then um, it was quite funny actually because I'd, I'd had this big breakdown. I'd I'd obviously split up with with my partner. Mm -hmm. I'd gone to stay with my parents for a couple of weeks, and I'd actually um, moved back to the the area that we were in didn't go back to the house that that we'd got together but we um I, I found somewhere to live and my first night there I'd, I'd sort of unloaded my back my bed my bag sorry and it was one of these like airbnb type places and um the first thing I experienced was the biggest spider I've ever seen which I say this every time <laughs> I see a spider it was the biggest <laughs> spider I've ever seen ran at me and I actually I I I kind of filmed it and I actually sent it to her and I was like, this is what you've reduced me to. I've got to sort spiders out myself. Um, and I was just having an absolute meltdown at the fact that there was a spider, but with it and I was fine. And uh, I'm not too, not too bad with them now. I still don't like them, but I'm better than I was. So. I was at, um, I was on a vacation in Arizona and we were in the desert and we were like this little uh, a reptile zoo area. And the guy had a, uh, the, the guide had a tarantula, you know, and he said, do you want to hold it? And I said, is it going to bite me? And he goes, well, if it bites you, nothing's going to happen. You get like, you know, it feels like a bee sting. I said, okay. So it's crawling up my arms 
And he's like, are you scared? And I'm like, no, I'm doing okay. And then he goes, don't drop it. I go, why? He goes, if you drop it, it'll die. And you owe me 500 bucks. And that's when I got scared. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to owe this guy 500 bucks. I'm like, take it off me. <laughs> See, you know, I'd, have given, I'd have given him the money to just keep it away from me. I think that would have that's been That's when my... I started screaming, get it off me. He goes, what do you, he goes, I thought you weren't scared. I'm like, I'm not scared. I don't have $500. <laughs> I actually went to um, Arizona. I did a bit of a road trip in the States a few years ago when we went to, we went to Arizona and um, it was all the tarantula hawks that were flying around. Oh wow! And I, I was thinking if there's tarantula hawks, that means there's tarantulas somewhere. Right. So that, yep, that really freaked around. me out. What time of yeah. year did you go? Uh, August. Oh, yeah, that's when I went. Oh, it's a dry yeah. heat. <laughs> it, was, it was very hot. Yeah, very hot. Heat. Oh, it's it's not humid, so you're not gonna feel anything. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I'd um, yeah, we did a, a road trip, and we actually had a ten hour drive through the desert. And um, uh, by the end of it, I was so dehydrated. It took me about three days to recover because it was just so so hot. Um, it was a couple of years ago, and I think it was actually a really. I think the temperatures reached near on the the highest temperatures they had done for a long time there, and it was it was ridiculous. Um, but but yeah, it was nice. Uh, Nice to see. Nice, nice trip yeah, that we had. So. It gets pretty hot there. It does get very hot. Yeah. All the, uh, all the signposts were melting <laughs> um, and the road signs and everything were, oh, uh, yeah. it was so hot, but, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good trip. Um, but yeah, we've, we've digressed slightly talking about uh, yeah. spiders. tarantulas and spiders, but um, no, it's been really interesting uh, chatting to you. If yeah, you want to give a book a bit of a plug and tell yeah, people sure. can find it. It's called The Psych Ward Notes, Surviving Anxiety and Depression. Um, my name is Peter Vox, V-O-X. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's on Kindle and it's on 42 um, audiobook apps. If you, uh, if you Google the name of the book um, or check me out on Instagram, uh, um, Peter Vox uh, 5150. And um, I post every day uh, with the with the links to the, uh, to each um, version of the book. And I know there's uh, an online bookstore in the UK that um, that it's uh, it's available as well. That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, um, yeah, it's been absolutely great chatting to you. Really interesting. Um, I've I've been having a look at uh, some of the reviews. It's got five star reviews. Um, I'm your surprised book. It's, doing, it's doing well. It's, it's, um, yeah. it's I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, lots of people commenting that they don't want to put it down and it's a great read. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely yeah, be recommending. There's, there's lots of funny stories. It's um, there's there's stories about, you know, uh, being in a band and crazy things that happen in college and the silly things you do after divorce when you're newly single and, you know, you have this freedom and, uh, you know, uh, so some silliness I put in there. Um, and, uh, you know, you got to keep, um, you know, humor, um, cause that's a big part of my personality. So I have to remember not to forget that I need to joke around a lot. And, um, you know, the feelings that you have, um, you know, especially the suicidal ones, you know, you just got to remember it's, it's, it's a temporary thought that you you've run out of an idea how to how to help yourself and that's where you go that's you know that's the most important thing use that as the signal you know don't make that hasty decision and use it as the signal to get help from somebody you know and yeah um, definitely 
definitely um it's good advice there and something we can all kind of take from that because it's so easy to to forget that it is just a temporary feeling um yeah it you know it it feels like it's never going to go away and um it's actually the worst thing to do is when you're in the middle of it to say stop it this has to stop this has to stop and it's it's more like you're on a surfboard and you just ride the wave until it, it calms down and you know and sometimes you have to close your eyes and take a deep breath or go for that walk. Um, and um, with, you know, research and age and wisdom and, um, you know, it becomes tolerable. Some days are bad. Some days are good. But that's, you know, that's life. You're going to have you can have ups and downs. So. Hopefully, you know, what people get out of it, it's is is a realistic look at it, a realistic look at anxiety and depression. And there's no sales pitch behind it. You know, um, it's it's not from a doctor who has theories, you know, who's, you know, have had have people that they know or had relatives, and that's why they're interested in it, you know, which is which is noble, but I feel I always learn most from people that are going through things or have been through things, you know, and yeah, um, they tend to be a little bit more empathetic, you know. Certainly. And, you know, I think it's important to to speak to people that have got that firsthand experience. Um, yeah. As you say, they're, they're more empathetic and understanding and actually, you know, they, they've been there. They know they know it's tough. And also they're a, an example that you can get through through it as well. You can get to the other side. Um, so you it's know. always nice to see people that have, uh, like you say, I, I don't like using that word either, survived, that have yeah, lived, uh, well, successfully sounds- living with it, I guess. Yeah. I, well, I think because it's, that seems to be a buzzword now. I'm a survivor this, I'm a survivor that. So it's become, um, it, in, it, it starts, it sounds overly dramatic to me now for personally, you know, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I survived, you know, I don't want to (laughs) sound like that, you know, I don't want to sound all melodramatic. Hey, you know what? I'm living with it. You know, I'm trying to have this New York attitude where it is what it is. You deal with it, you know, like sort of like my grandfather, you know, you take every day as it comes, you know, I write a lot about my maternal grandfather was, was probably the, the most positive influence on my life. So there's a lot about him and, you know, dealing with life in a in a realistic you know and and not i didn't want to write something sensationalistic or or i don't want to come off sensationalistic like you can beat this you know like sort of like how the trainers are on the biggest loser if you ever watch that show on on nbc of how like they have this like energy like you guys ready to train you know they're all like yeah (laughs) and it's like life's really not like that you know (laughs) can't put you can't have that energy 24 hours a day you're gonna collapse you know exactly yeah it's not realistic yeah it's more realistic you know but no it's it has been great chatting to you thanks for your time i I very Um, much i appreciate you having me on i really do and um and i hope that you know uh you know your show is, is successful and you continue to grow hope you all enjoyed that it's brilliant to chat to peter a very interesting man i'm sure you'll all agree please do check out his book and give him a follow on insta i'm going to end on a poem as always and this one's by rudy francisco 
If you find yourself tucked into the corner of morning and your smile has too many thorns and loneliness is a rumour your thoughts are spreading about your bones, if you have the unshakable urge to reach out for something and have no idea what it is, possibly I am somewhere doing the exact same thing. Thanks again and until the next time, take it easy.